Morning, everybody. Morning. Lovely, and that's what I like to hear. Uh, thanks for having me back. Um, it's nice to to know you get accepted back, which means I wasn't too bad the first time I was here, I, I guess. And uh, don't worry, I wasn't ever expecting a kind of clap that you'd give for Colin Potter, because uh, that guy's a, a legend. It's, speaking of like history, it's funny because Colin um, and his wife Eunice actually planted Jubilee Church. Uh, back in 1991, the church that I'm a part of uh, now. So it's just uh, amazing how these things are kind of all intertwined, you know, because we really are family. We're different churches, but we are the church, right? Uh, and, and I love that. I get to come here and I get to worship God, the one true God. And then, and down the road in Enfield, people are worshiping God and people are being baptized and being brought into the family of God. Um, and I love that. Now, I have to tell you, Jubilee's really rowdy, so you're very welcome to get rowdy with me, okay? Because that kind of makes me feel much at home, all right? So I'm a very interactive guy, so don't be shy with me, all right? All right? Oh, yeah, good, good. Great. Um, let's go straight into the Word of God, shall we? Um, Acts chapter 4. So the book of Acts and chapter 4. I'm going to read a short uh, bit of scripture there, uh, starting from verse 23. Uh, just to give you, while you're looking for that, just to give you some, some context um, to this, uh, in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 3, there's that well-known story of uh, Peter and John who go to the temple to pray. And there's a lame man in, in Solomon's porch at the entrance of the temple. Uh, and as you remind of the story, they, they heal him there in the name of Jesus. And a man who has been lame from birth now walks. An incredible miracle, so much so that it got the attention of everybody that was around there. And he actually tells us that off the back of this, Peter starts uh, preaching to the crowd, and it tells us that 5,000 men alone were added to the kingdom that day. An incredible story of the early church really bursting, bursting forth. And then, and then right at the end of, end of that, so you must think that Peter and John, who just went to the temple to pray that morning and this amazing thing happened would be like on such a spiritual high right now right because it's, this is this is what we signed up for it's people getting healed five I, I can't even put it in the context you're five thousand people added that day you know as Peter spoke in the name of Jesus I mean if you ever you, you can't doubt the power of proclaiming something in the name of Jesus they pronounced the risen Jesus and five thousand people were added to the church that's incredible um, but then you start chapter 4, and it's like they've gone from there, and it then quickly went down again. Because the chief priests uh, haul Peter and John in before the whole council. The whole lot of the chief priests. It's like, you don't want to be in this room, because these are the, the top people. It tells us that they were all gathered together. And they, they start, you know, I, I guess interrogating Peter and John. And... It's a bit of a comical story in a sense, because they're saying, what are you doing? Don't, we, we're not having you preach this in the name of Jesus anymore. And it's, but it's a bit odd, because they're looking at Peter and John, telling them not to do this anymore, and yet the guy who's been lame from birth, he stood right next to them, you know, still shaking his legs, you know, he's still dancing. And you kind of think, well, how, how can you get this so wrong? Can you not see what, what's going on here? And he goes on to say, you know, that they couldn't find anything at fault in them. And so all they could do was threaten them. They threatened their lives. say, we're not having you do this anymore. And so we're now getting to verse 23. And this is Peter and John's response to what's gone on. 
So it says this, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by his Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage? Uh, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had pretended to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Can you continue to speak the word of God with boldness? I have a, a question for you this morning. How easily would you say you are at getting distracted? Anyone here get easily distracted? This is the, you're such a great crowd already. Because I'm like, I'm easily distracted, right? Because there's tons of distractions out there, isn't there? Yeah? And um, I know I see there's lots of kiddies here. And so that a lot of parents here will totally identify with me. So I have, uh, I have two, two daughters. I have Maisie, who's six, and I have Isabella, who is uh, 18 months. And, uh, you know, Maisie was, was fantastic. She was, um, she was completely risk-adverse, Maisie. She, she understood the concept of danger really early on, which for a parent is, like, brilliant. So she just didn't she, – she knew if she stood at the top of the stairs, she could see she could fall down that thing, right? And hurt herself. My second one, Isabella, we'll call her Bella for short, uh, she has no idea of the concept of danger. So she looks at the top of the stairs and sees it as a challenge. You know, this thing is not helpful. But you're, and, and so, you know, when, so it just takes a lot more looking after, like Bella. When you're in the room with her, you just have to, you know, keep your eyes on it. But there's always something there to distract you, right? Whether it be CBBs or something on a TV or your phone rings, or something in your room. And, and whenever you get back in the room after your distraction, you look around, and Bella's missing. And like the first thing, I'm like, oh, no. And the, probably the last time that I remember this happening, it was just in the summer, just gone. We were on holiday, which is even worse. We're in a house that we don't really know. We've only, we're just staying in a cottage for a week. And uh, I'm, I'm in the, in the you know, it's a proper old cottage, stone floors, you know, all that kind of stuff terrible place to take kids, especially one who has got no idea of what danger is. And, and uh, I, I, I don't know what happened or what I got distracted. I suddenly look around and Bella's gone. So now the, the manhunt happens and eventually I found her right in the kitchen. And uh, Mr. Powerpoint point will help me here. This is where I found her. I'm like, it's an oven and you're stood on a handle of a door that opens. The oven wasn't on. And before you, you probably all judged me, the oven wasn't on. And you're like, but Matt, you stopped and taken a picture of it. I'm like, yeah, I know. But it, because, you know, I was just like, what are, what are you doing? You know, this distraction happens all the time. And I don't know about you, sometimes 
at work. Do you ever get those days sometimes when you're at work and everything seems to distract you? No, no one else. That's just me. Okay, that's fine. You know, there's just there's always something that happens. And more than enough, it'd be people that keep coming to your desk and want to talk to you about something. And before you know it, the day's gone and you've got no work done. Well, I discovered the other day, it had to be from America, but for a reasonable price, I found a real answer to my problem. And it's a t-shirt. Have a look at this. I mean, I love it. It's got everything about it, right? It's a true message. I think it's really honest. It's very humble. I have no self-control. Please don't talk to me. I'm not going to get any work done otherwise. You know, there. I guess I've shared some, some silly things, but being, being distracted can cost us sometimes. And, uh, you know, you don't want to get distracted while driving, for example. That's probably not something you want to recommend, particularly on a rainy day. Sometimes when we lose our distraction and our focus, it, it, can, it can be a dangerous thing. And, and I think about the, the, the Israelites now, when they got brought out of Egypt, and they spent those 40 years, well, not quite 40 years to begin with, but the start of those years in the desert wandering around, and they get to the, the point where they're going to cross over into the promised land, and, and uh, Moses sends in you know, groups of spies to go and survey the land. And, and everything that God had done in them in the desert, momentarily, most of those that went into the promised land lost their focus. And, and they missed it. They missed it what God was doing because they went into the land and they came back, most of them, with bad reports saying, we can't go in there. It's full of enemies. It's not going to happen. God can't do this. Da, 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 da. They just lost their focus momentarily. They took their eyes off God. And the consequence was that they really did miss it because then God sent them around in the desert again to the point where it was 40 years and all of those that were there at that point no longer went into the promised land, except for two. One of those was Joshua. And one of those was Joshua. So they came back with a different report. No, the land is filled with milk and honey. And God can do this. God can do this. And, and here's my, my, my heart at the moment. It's what I, I feel that's going on and it's something that God's really speaking to us at Jubilee and, and me purposely is that I really see at this moment in time that our, our nation is shaking and our society is very unstable but out of that what I do see is God's church rising up and I don't use these words lightly is I really feel like we're on the cusp of revival but if revival is going to come God is looking to do something in these people so that we're in the place to see revival come and be carriers of the kingdom. And so I come with a message this morning to say, be focused. Really, be focused. Um, the, the, the Apostle Paul in, uh, in, in Philippians says this. He says, one thing I do. One thing I do. I forget what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, you know, some of us that were on this road have fallen away. And she says, they got distracted by earthly things. He says, but we are citizens, our citizenship's in heaven. We belong to the one who sits in heaven on the throne. And from it, we await a savior. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. This one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to press on in the things of God. I really believe that God's doing a new thing and he's calling us to be a people of focus. Focused on him and the things of him. And I really feel that God is 
again, when the Israelites came back to the, uh, the River Jordan, ready to go into the Promised Land, this time under Joshua, he gave Joshua some really simple things to do about how they were going to take this land. And I, and I want to kind of walk us through that this morning and um, really quickly. Four really simple points that you've heard before, but I, I pray don't let it pass over you. Let your heart be fertile this morning to receive God's word. First, stay focused and stay the course. Stay focused and stay the course. What, what do I mean by that? Well, really is this. Life is a journey. Life really is a journey. And a journey is walked on paths, right? And there really is a journey and a path that God would have me and you walk on. And, and, this, and this, this path, if you like, there's several ways of looking at it. First of all is this, is that it's, it's a path of transformation. First and foremost, is a path of transformation. What do I mean by that? It's a transformation in you and in me. In the case that when we get saved, God calls us to a path where we will grow deeper and deeper and deeper in him. Paul describes it this way, moving from one degree of glory to another, to another, to another. where We become more and more like Jesus. This is really important. This is a perspective that we have to have. Why? Because, and I love the testimonies that we have this morning. Um, you know, question is, why, why was your son ill on the way to Ghana? What, what was going on in, in, in that moment? But I love the way you landed your testimony is that at the end of it, when your miracle came and he got better, you realized that we have to keep looking towards a living God. What was the purpose of it? The purpose of it was that. You see, the thing is, we're really quick to forget as human beings. And God will do things in our lives that sometimes feel painful. Really. Sometimes will feel painful. But he's giving us new wineskins to be filled with new wine. And there's, there's pressing and there's crushing. But he's doing it so that it forms lampposts and altars in our lives that we go back to. No, we serve a God who's living. And, and therefore, he's the answer to our sickness. He's the answer to any storm that we face. He's looking at doing something in us. When God took the Israelites out of Egypt, he wasn't just taking them out of Egypt. He then spent the time in the desert taking Egypt out of them. So we, when we come into Christ, yeah, we, we come... We come to God still full of the world. And now he puts us on a path where he says, I'm going to take the world out of you. So that you're going to be in the world, but you're not going to be of it. You see? It's a path of transformation. And this perspective is so important. This is why you think it's a really odd way to start a book. But James, in the very first chapter, says this. Count it all joy. Oh, yeah, I count it all joy. When you meet various trials of different kinds. What? That thing doesn't go together. Count it as joy when you meet trials. How does that work? Well, he's the perspective that he's looking on. It's a path of being redeemed. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And therefore, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I don't know about you, but in Christ, I really am going after being perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Oh, I may lack some earthly things, right? But I'm lacking nothing. Why? Because I found my all in all in him. That, that is the perspective. And that therefore, when you're meeting trials, it's only so many trials down the line that you realize God's doing something today. And it just helps you navigate that thing differently because he's doing something in you. Really, he's doing something in you. It's a path uh, of transformation. Second, it's a path to destinations. That is that 
even along this path as God is transforming you, he's calling you to go and do some things for his kingdom. Really now. There is, is, I love this in, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says that God has predestined some things for us to do in our lives. And he did so before the foundations of the world, before you were even born. So there's some things that he will have you do for his kingdom. At the same time as being transformed, Matt? Yes, at the same time as being transformed. Why? Because none of us are perfect. I dare you to go through the Bible and find one person, other than Jesus, I'm not letting you have that one, other than Jesus, who God called to do something, but didn't have to take some things out of their life and sort them out while they were doing it. I challenge you to find that person. See, that's not the way it works, that we just get called, and then you spend all that time being transformed, and then he sends you to do something. No, he's going to send you to do some things at the same time as being transformed. Really. The Israelites now were on a path to something. They were on the, on the edge of the Jordan, and the promised land is there. What were they about? They had some personal battles to fight, but there was something bigger. They were called to now establish God's kingdom in the promised land. Was it just about them having you know, the, the, the milk and honey? No, but God loves to bless his people, so there's going to be milk and honey. But it was about establishing God's kingdom that one day, me and you would be in this place in God's kingdom. You see, that thing is so much bigger than what they probably realized even at that point. There are some things that God is calling us to do. Thirdly, that this path is a way of life. It's a way of life. That is that if we're going to walk this path that God has for us, there really are some principles of his kingdom that we must adopt in order to walk this path. It's the way of the life. When Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's a way of it. And, and here's the danger. Jesus, Jesus describes this path as, as quite a narrow path. And as he says, there are not many people find this. As opposed to the world's way, just like vast. Now that's quite easy. And, and that's helpful. And I don't think Jesus at that point is actually saying, you know what, this, this is a really narrow path that you know, hardly any people are going to walk down. It's what what he's, he's, he's describing the contrast here between walking God's way and walking the world's way. And here's the thing, is when you're walking God's way, if, if we just look kind of you know, left or right, and we see the way that the world would do things. I tell you, the world is really not shy at telling us how to live life. Anyone else find that? If you, if you look left to your right and you get momentarily distracted, the world's got plenty of advice on how to do life, how to organize your finances, how to parent your children, how to do marriage, how to go about your job. Oh, it's all there. It's all there. And, and I think that's what Jesus is getting at, is that the world is shouting these things. It's a wide berth. And I don't know about you and me, but I sometimes get distracted by it, right? I'm, I'm, I'm walking in God's way, but something comes up that I just kind of either look to myself or kind of, I don't know, check out a YouTube video, work out how to do it, listen to a TED talk, you know, whatever it is, that there's still something in us that we still kind of tap a little bit into the world's way. But Jesus says this, he says, you need to know though, that when you get distracted by those things and, and you, you still kind of do bits of it God's way and bits of it the world's way, this thing gets diluted. And therefore, you don't often have that full effect. I think that's why sometimes we, we find it so, I, I do, I, you just feel like it's not working sometimes. It's struggling. And, and, and I've, I've, I haven't got time, but I've got you know, testimonies of, of where God's just changed my thinking. 
You know, the word repentance in the Bible, when you get to the root word of repentance, it means this, to change the way you think. That's why Paul says, you need to be transformed by the renewal of your, your mind. Now, that's a really interesting thing. See, often people think about repentance as just that, that immediate thing where you just denounce your sins and then walk God's way. But repentance is an ongoing thing. And, and here's the wonderful thing is we live and serve under a God of grace. So sometimes when we, we tap into the world's way and we dilute God, he's so, so patient with us. He's going to teach us in that moment. He, he really will. He's, he's a God of grace. And, and one of the things that, about Joshua, and, and I want to say to you on the outset, it doesn't matter what your journeys look like today, right? Because today, when you become before God, every day can be a new day. Why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He says to Moses, uh, he says to Joshua, sorry, right at the start, Joshua 1, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua already knows that. Why is God telling him? It's important to know. Joshua, the old is gone and the new has come. The Bible says of us, we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. So whatever your journeys look like so far, it can be a new day to get back on that path that God has for us and to stay focused. Stay focused on the path, really. And if we're going to navigate this road, we need a guide. We need a guide. Point two, stay focused, stay in the word. We're going to find our manual for life. When, when Jesus says there's a way that I'm going to do this, the way to, to walk it my way and not the world's way, we, we need the guide. And, 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 and the guide is, is right here. The really, it, it is everything for life and godliness, the Bible says, is in this book. The, everything you need. So the world will shout how to do life, but if you want to know how to live the life, it's, it's in here. It will tell you everything, how to, how to organize your life. And then, importantly, how to walk, God's way because this book is full of encouragement it's full of insight it's full of teaching it's, it's full of God's word the way he intended it to be you read such encouragement I love the way that God says to Joshua he says look Moses is dead but listen now I will be with you and I will not forsake you therefore you can be strong and courageous sometimes I just need to read that things that we face Really, you just need to know that God's with you and he won't leave you and he won't forsake you. What incredible commissioning. I'm, I'm calling you to a big thing, Joshua. And Moses is dead. You lived under his shadow for a long time. But listen to me, I'm with you as I was with Moses. And I won't leave you and I won't forsake you. You can do this. But he quickly he goes on to Joshua and he says this, be careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Listen now, it says, do not turn from it from the right or from the left. Yeah? Don't turn from it. That you may have good success wherever you go. And then he tells them to meditate on it. Day and night. Get this word of God in you. Why? He's going, they're going to cross over the Jordan. And they're going into a promised land. But that promised land is filled with lots of different cultures. Lots of different cities. It's the world's way. 
They're going to tell them how to live. They live a certain way. They worship certain gods. They do life a certain way. And he's saying to Joshua, before you go into that land, get this thing inside of you. Meditate on it day and night. And don't let it leave your mouth, your lips. You know, really. And, and I want to say to you that I guess this strikes at the heart of what it is really to be a disciple of, of Jesus. I, I love the way that Jesus, when he, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, in the Great Sermon on the Mount, he, he, he just pulls out so much of life there. But one of the things that always struck me really early on when I was reading it is when he says, and, and when you pray, I like the, and when you pray, not, not if you pray, when you pray, just don't, don't do it like the Pharisees do, and they just stand in front of people and come out with long words. He says, go home, go in your room, shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. He's like, he's saying to us, you know what, you need to live for an audience of one. Not any person. You know, really. And that's where life is. If if we're going to have good success, get before your father and get into the word. And I want to say to you, we all must be readers. Because otherwise, why did God write his word down? I want to challenge us, right? Because... Some of us often think we're not readers, and I'm not really a massive reader, but there must be a spiritual breakthrough there for us to access the Word of God. Otherwise, why did he write it down? He would have recorded it on CDs, because he knew CDs were going to be created, right? I, um, I uh, was speaking to my, uh, my uh, six-year-old, Maisie, and, uh, with, with my wife, Louise, and uh, we, we were, it was kind of bed story time. And uh, she came out with something so profound as six-year-olds really can. They can, they can. they can rock your faith sometimes. You kind of think, my goodness. Out of the, no wonder Jesus said, to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. Because some of the things they come out with is just incredible. And as a dad, you learn what it is to have a childlike faith. Because she just doesn't doubt God. And it's, it's, it's an incredible thing. Um, but it was this something completely different. She was reading her bedtime story, right, with my wife Louise. And uh, have a look. Have you got that picture of that fish up there, mate? Lovely. Does anyone know what that fish is? Which one? A- anglerfish. Yeah, anglerfish. Yeah. Uh, now, I didn't know what that fish is. I've got to be honest with you. That is some weird, scary-looking fish, right? That is enough to put me off going in the sea ever again. I, I kid you not. But you haven't got to worry because it, it does kind of leaps in the, it lives in the depths of the ocean. But so th- there is on a this kind of storybook that Maisie's reading. Right. There's a, actually, there's another picture. Go to the next one. You might recognize it. Anyone recognize that film? Yeah. yeah, Finding Nemo, right? Now, you've all seen that fish before. So it was kind of like this book she was reading, and it had this kind of cartoon image of this, this fish. And she said to my wife, she said, Mommy, do you know what this fish is? And Louise is like, no, I don't know what this fish is. And Maisie goes, it's an anglerfish, Mommy. So he's like, Louise, I'm just like kind of paying attention to this interaction. And she's like, how do you know that's an anglerfish? And she's like, oh, well, uh, we did some dedicated reading in year one, and I just happened to have this book that was telling me about an anglerfish. I was like, oh, my goodness. But here's the thing. She's in year two. She's quoting something that happened the year before. Now, listen here. She did dedicated reading. Something went inside of her, and she was able to bring that knowledge out in a situation. And I'm looking at this thing going, oh, man, drinking the word of God. Really, and let it get into your heart because when it's time to pull out in the situations that we face, that thing is going to come out. And here's the other B 
bit of gold dust. Because I didn't start, we, we do what we do all the time with Maisie. We want to look up about an anglerfish. So we're going to learn a bit more about it. Bring out the iPad, good old Google, anglerfish, right? This fish is called to live in the depths of the ocean, where it is pretty much pitch black. Sound familiar? You're the light being called to live in the darkness, in the depths of the ocean. And God, in his wisdom and sovereignty, has put a light in front of that fish's face. And that fish uses that light for two things. Navigation in the darkness. And also to attract prey so he can eat and survive. The Bible says that your word is like a lamp to my path and a light to my feet. And he also says this, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You see, it's not only lighting the path, so it's showing you the way you should walk, but it's also being light to your feet, showing how you can walk along that path. Amazing. Out of mouth of babes, eh? My six-year-old daughter. Incredible. Stay focused. Stay in the Word. Thirdly, stay focused and stay in the fight. Stay focused and stay in the fight. What do I mean by that? Well, the truth is we are actually in a battle. Constantly. We're in a battle. And really we are. And that sometimes that battle rages in us. Sometimes that battle, well, all the time actually, that battle rages between us. It's a battle of God's kingdom being extended into the world's way. And uh, that, that thing takes some fighting. And there is two levels to it, really. There's a battle in us and there's a battle around us. The battle around us is that God's light is, as I've already said, that path of transformation is pushing out the darkness from us and increasing the light of God in us. But at the same time, the places that we go to, where we work, where we set up life, where we live, where our children go to school, they're all battlegrounds. We are, we are, we're purposely called into these places, really. And the Israelites crossed over the Jordan, and the first battle, if you like, in the Promised Land this is the interesting thing. They're going into a promised land that God's promised them, but there's still some fighting to be done. So there's, there's still some darkness there to be pushed out. And they need to stay in the fight. And there's a real interesting thing that happens just before the battle for Jericho. You know the story well, right? The walls of Jericho fell. But it's kind of on the eve, if you like, of God's giving them instructions about how they're going to fight. That's, we get our instructions how we're going to fight. And it says in the Bible, and it just says, uh, Joshua chapter, I think it's in chapter 5, I think. It says that Joshua was by Jericho. So he's facing a battle. And he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua said to him, Are you for us or against us? Are you for us or are you you against us? And the man said, 
No. But I, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I have come. It's a really interesting meeting. It's, are you for us or are you against us? And he just says, no. It's kind of almost as if to say, mm, that's not really the perspective you need to have here. If they'd like to say, I'm not either. Although God is for us, by the way, and not against us. But it was the way that jo- Joshua was asking the question, are you for us or are you against us? It's to say, like, are you, are you on our side and fighting our battle? Or are we fighting against you? And he's like, no, 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 no. You're thinking about this the wrong way. The question is, are you on my side fighting my battle? Because I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. And, and the perspective I want to give you here is, as much as those walls of Jericho needed a fall, extending God's kingdom, is that sometimes I think the danger is in this path of transformation is we can get very bogged down in our own personal battles. And I think God would say to us in these moments sometimes is, just lift your eyes a little bit to heaven here. Because, yeah, you're going through a battle and I'm doing something in you. But I'm doing it for something so much bigger, like beyond you. Is to say that our personal battles are linked with the eternal battle of God and the extension of his kingdom. And it's where you're aligned is the question. Are you, are you constantly asking God to kind of take your side momentarily in a battle? Or you're saying, God, I'm all in in your army to fight this battle. Because I know this, is that when I put myself in your kingdom and I choose to follow you, I know that you watch over my life. Matthew said it himself. He says, when he says this, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what he's then saying is he's going to take care of your life. In other words, you can lift your focus for a moment off of yourself and trust God and align yourself with his battle to push on some things, knowing that if you do that wholeheartedly, he's got everything that you need covered. And you won't lack, and he won't leave you, and he won't forsake you. Because also, the thing is, he calls us to fight in different ways. Sometimes we can so, we just get tired, I think, sometimes in our own battles, right? Mentally, physically, and there's, there's a way that he would have us fight. Really. And it's not, a, it's not a physical fight. It's always a spiritual fight. The weapons of our, of our warfare, they're not earthly. They're not earthly. And so he was calling them to, to fight Jericho in a really odd way. In a really odd way. But I, I just want to say this to you. It's just that know this. Stay in the fight. No, really. Submit your personal situations before God and pray them in the context of the kingdom being extended. God, do something in me that I may then impart something to someone else. That's a great perspective to have and there's power in it. Really, there's power in it. Because where you would attack Jericho with kind of slingshots and arrows and swords and ladders, God told them to march around the wall. For seven days. Now they couldn't do that unless they had this kind of mindset. The full trusting in God. So hang on. You want me to fight but you don't want me to take out a sword. You want me to walk around the wall and sing a few times. That sounds like instant death to me. I mean, I, you know, there's arrows on the wall. There's, there's all sorts, right? 
The truth is, though, God had gone before them because Jericho was really scared because they'd heard the things that God had done with the Israelites. And now he's telling them to walk around and to sing and to shout. Stay in the fight. And lastly, stay focused and stay in the presence. Stay in his presence. Because that was the way that he was calling them to fight. I want to say to you that the presence of God changes everything. It changes everything. And as the people of God, see the truth is, the Bible says, where can we go from your presence? Because you can't, because God's everywhere. That's not the question. The question isn't, where can I go and you're not there? The question is, how do I know, how do I continually access your presence? Because the truth is, when you do go home and you shut the door and you kneel before your father and pray in secret, who is in secret, his presence is there. But also, I feel that God gave like another level to his presence and Jesus validated this when he says that when two or three of you are gathered together in my name, I will be there in your midst. It was almost like there is, there is power in the presence. I, you, there is no other way to get up and do life every, every morning without starting first in the presence of God. But I also say there's another layer that God put it to that is it says that you need to gather together regularly. Be amongst each other. Because when you gather in my name, i.e. chase after things of me and my kingdom and my purpose, you watch when I'm in your midst. You watch when I'm in your midst. Because also I find that this is also the answer to our personal battles. Because when we get together and God's presence is there, when someone prays in the name of Jesus, things are done. So when you come together as a church, miracles can happen. I mean that. Your personal battles can be taken care of. Ask anything in his name and don't doubt in your heart and it will be done. How do I overcome that doubt? I get together with other people around me who have got testimonies of when they prayed in Jesus' name and didn't doubt and they saw it happen. And we encourage each other and we keep going. God never, church is God's plan A. It really is. And in fact, in the world of the pressures that I was describing, we have to do this regularly. We have to do this regularly where we sing together and we fix our eyes on God. There's power in his presence. You see, when they went out to Jericho to march around the walls, it says this, they went out before the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, they, they went out in his presence and they sang songs of truth like no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Like no power of hell, no scheme of man will ever pluck me from his hand. I'm telling you, this is how to fight. This, this is how to walk this road, is, is to stay in his presence. And the, I want to say this, that this world that we live in now with society quaking and everything that people have depended on seems to just be gradually breaking and falling away just like those walls that were supposed to protect Jericho, just started to crumble. This is no different to the story of Earth as it is. It was exactly the same for the, the, the disciples when the early church started in Acts. You see, 
the chief priests and the elders came to him and said, can you stop doing life through this Jesus? That's incredible. They're leaders of the church. These are the elders, the chief priests, the leaders of... And they didn't get it. It was founded on self-righteousness. But they were like, stop doing this Jesus thing. The world's going to tell you, stop doing this Jesus thing. However it comes, distraction after distraction. But I, I love what the disciples did. They get threatened, and this distraction is here. They could have just quietly gone to the side and stopped doing what the, the chief priest told them to do, fearing for their lives. But what did they do? Peter and John left that place, and they came together with the other believers in a room. And they prayed. They entered into God's presence. They quoted scripture back to God. A psalm of David. Why? Because what they were experiencing, David had written about in the Psalms hundreds of years before. See, everything that they needed was in the Word of God. It gives meaning to what they're seeing and what's going on. It gave them perspective. And then they said this. In other words, when they said, now, God grant us boldness to preach the Word more than what we were before. Hang on. You're preaching the Word. 5,000 got added. A guy got healed. They're telling you to shut up or they're going to kill you. And they're praying, God, help us do it more. My goodness, they, they got it. They realized their personal battle there with the chief priests and the elders was so linked to the internal battle of God and to see his kingdom manifest. And we all know the church is, well, we're here today, right? Because of their battle and because of their focus. And it says, as they met together, the Holy Spirit came down and it shook that room. And they went out and they proclaimed the message of Jesus with more boldness. While God stretched out his hands to do miracles, to bring healings, to change lives, to change situations. You know, after that, the church scattered. Because we all know one named Saul came on the scene, started persecuting him. And the church broke up into all these little pockets. But it started to grow and grow and grow and grow ever beyond. See, what, what the devil meant for harm, God meant for good. And they accessed the good because they got this, their focus. I want to say to us this morning, God is calling us to be a people of focus, to see his kingdom manifested in our own lives and in the places that we serve. For you guys, that's Harlow. Wherever you live, wherever you work. And we need to be a people of focus. Should we stand together? I want to pray just before we sing. I'm just going to ask a guest for the impartation of the Holy Spirit to come. Because here's what I believe. That what happened to the disciples in that room was just not unique to that day and to that set of people. That the same Holy Spirit lives and moves today. Father, I just... Will you just lift out your hands? Father, you really are a good, good God. You really are. I thank you that you hold our lives in your hands. And I thank you, Father, that when you call us to trust you, you really do fight on our behalf.
You go before us and you stand behind us. You're our defender. You're our hope. You're our peace and our joy. I thank you that your love is never ending. I thank you that your mercies are never ending. And Father, as we walk this road that you call us to, into the darkness, in this troubled world, I pray, Father, right now, that you would send your Holy Spirit in power to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Help us to keep our focus, I pray. And would you speak to us prophetically, God? Could you give us signposts for our lives? Help us to know that we are on this road, on this path that you would have us walk. Help us to remain steadfast. Build us up that our feet won't be shaken, that we won't be moved in the trials, God, in the storms, knowing that you're about a better work in us and so much more beyond us. God, help us to have the same spirit of the disciples where we're asking for more of you, more boldness to do things in greater power, greater measure than we are now. Let's see your kingdom come, God. Let's see your kingdom come, God. Change us that we may then go and change the world. You're so welcome here. We pray that you would clothe us with your presence. Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here in this moment. God, we lift our eyes to heaven. That's where our help comes from, but it's where our eternal destiny lies. The things of the earth around us, they will fade and die. But the things of you in heaven are eternal and they remain forever. You're the commander of the army and we choose to stand with you. Come and have your way, I pray. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.